Hey, what's up, everybody? This is Craig Dyson. My wife, Kara, and I are the pastors of Convo Church, and this is our podcast. I wanted to thank you for joining us today. I hope this message inspires you, encourages you, and builds your faith. Enjoy the message. All right, so Luke chapter three, we have uh, predominantly the main character that's being talked about and interacting is John the Baptist. If you've heard about this guy, he was, he was I don't know if you knew this, he was a first cousin to Jesus. Uh, so they weren't just ministry kingdom partners, they were in the same family. Uh, they, you know, his, his mama and his aunt were, okay, so there was family. So it's, it's uh, but John the Baptist was the one that God called to prepare the way and announce the way for the Christ, for the Savior, which just happened to be Jesus, who just happened to be his first cousin when it came to that part of the line. Uh, but John the Baptist was doing stuff that people had never seen before. And so there were even some people who were looking for the Messiah. They were like, hey, are, is that you? Are you, the, is that, is, are you the Messiah? And he said, no. And this is what he says in verse 16. Uh, a little contrast here. If you read this 316 and then you turn to John 316, it's kind of cool to put those two together. Anyway, but John answered their question saying, I baptize you with water. But someone is coming soon who is greater than I am, so much greater that I'm not even worthy to be his slave and untie the straps of his sandals. And he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. Somebody say the Holy Spirit. Spirit. And I'll say fire. Fire. So if you're taking notes today, which you, you should, it's not because what I have to say is so great, but it's because God wants to speak to you while we're doing this thing. Uh, you, can, you can title it, it's Uncensored Holy Spirit. Today we're talking about uh, firepower. Firepower. So, that sounds good. Firepower. We'll go with that. So you don't know this, but sometimes on my notes I have like four or five different subtitles and because and I, I don't know what to pick, and then that's the one I went with. So we're going with firepower this morning. And, uh, and so listen, the, the, the Holy Spirit at work in and through the life of a Jesus follower uh, is the very power of God at work within you. And uh, so this whole thing, you can go back to our, our podcast if you don't follow it on, on Spotify yet or subscribe yet on iTunes, you can go back and listen to some of the other uh, messages that we did introducing this series, because uh, I don't want to spend all the time kind of uh, rehashing all that. But, but one thing I do want to recover is the fact that we're calling this uncensored Holy Spirit, because in my experience in my life looking in the church world, the Holy Spirit has been handled and dealt with in many different ways. And, uh, and, and in some ways has been dealt with in the type of manner that, that would really push people away from God. It's been dealt with in the manner that would, would make people feel alienated from, uh, from what God is actually trying to accomplish. And then on the flip side of that, uh, because there are, there are uh, individuals, there are mindsets within the religious world uh, that would say uh, they're uncomfortable with what the Bible teaches about the Holy Spirit. So in, instead of embracing it and having faith to believe for it and, and asking God to help us work through it, let's just water it down. Let's just water it down and make it understandable. Let's make it easy. Let's make it non-controversial. Let's, let's, uh, let's, let's take this, this what, what we actually read in the, in the letters of the Bible. And you know, that was cool for then, but for now, you know, we're much more cerebral in our relationship with God. We don't need, this, we don't need some tangible physical experience. We just need the knowledge uh, to get through this thing called life. And so, uh, so the church world has really done a very poor job, and not across the board. There are a lot of people who are doing fantastic stuff on this topic, but I would say when it comes to those who seem to be, for whatever reason, steeped in religion, and again, we say we're not about religion, we're about relationship with God, but who are steeped in religion, we seem to try to censor the very thing that God's trying to give so that we can have power, somebody say power, 
to do the things that God's called us to do. And so we wanna uncensor the Holy Spirit. We wanna take off the blur in front of the Holy Spirit. We wanna take off the mute button that gets put on the Holy Spirit and not turn it into some freak show that's all about us and us getting what we want in a, in a, a flesh demonstration that's just some, some type of supernatural orgy taking place that doesn't produce any fruit in the life of people, that turns people away from Christ instead of attracting them to Christ. And we don't wanna pour some watered down version of milk into a glass and say, here you go, this is what the Holy Holy Spirit is good luck with life. We want to we want to kind of demystify. We want to take away the weirdness, but we want to add the power. We want what Jesus says we need. And so that's what this is all about, guys. And I, I was trying to come up with kind of a clever, I don't know, analogy or something to kind of intro. And I was really having a hard time. And I think it's because it's it's really it's really it felt inadequate. And so I, I had a couple of them here. I'm going to throw some of these ideas past you, see if any of these make sense. So. Uh, uh, sometimes for me, I reverse engineer things. So instead of like what something is, I try to think of what something could be, but it's not. Anyway, all right, so this is, what, this is what I got. Not having the Holy Spirit in your life is like changing the channels on your TV without a remote or voice controls, I guess. We have that now. All right, that one's okay. Not having the Holy Spirit in your life is like driving a car with no power steering. You ever done that? That's hard. I mean, it really... Forum, okay. Uh, here, how about this one? Not having the Holy Spirit in your life is like grilling with charcoal instead of propane. I know there's some, I know there's some, I know there's some purists out there that are like, what you talking about? Charcoal is where it's, I get it, I get it. Just trying to get an analogy here, that's all this is. Not having the Holy Spirit in your life is like washing dishes by hand instead of a dishwasher. That was me growing up. These were the dishwashers. Anyway, okay. Not having the Holy Spirit in your life is like this is, now, this one, I learned this one recently kind of more. It's like using a hammer instead of a nail gun. Man, ever used, I mean, fingers smashing, words being said, and then all of a sudden someone's like, goose, 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 goose. You're like, wow, that's okay. That's technology. All right. It's, uh, it's like lighting your house with candles instead of having electric light bulbs everywhere to illuminate. You know, it's just, so I mean, all of those are terrible analogies, by the way, but does that kind of paint a little bit of picture? It's like, this is what we, we tend to try to work with, but this is what's possible. But this is what we settle for, but this is what God's trying to do. You know, so, so let's personalize a little bit. Not having the Holy Spirit uh, at work and alive inside of you is like you trying to conquer addiction on your own. It's like you trying to be a good person ever. <laughs> on your own strength, just by gritting your teeth and waking up, looking in the mirror, smacking yourself in the face and going on with life. Like, okay, I'm gonna do it today. Somebody's tailgating you. Okay, game over. All right, that's, that didn't last long. Man, nothing gets me like somebody getting up on my tail like when I'm driving. Oh my gosh. Sorry, that was a confession. Anyway, but here, here's the reality though. We, we just cannot live the life that God has called us to live without the supernatural helper called the Holy Spirit of God. So in, in, in some of our past messages, again, hit up the podcast, we talked about what the Holy Spirit is. It's not a vibe, it's not an entity, it's not a mist, it's not an energy. The Holy Spirit is a person and a person who desires to be real and involved. And, and it's not just a person that is at a distance, but Jesus said that it's best if I go away, because if I don't, I can't send the Holy Spirit, the helper, the comforter, to come and not be just with you, but be inside of you. 
And so I wanna, I wanna demystify a couple of things and I really want us to go, see, here's the deal. We, from the outside in, people wanna label churches. Like, well, what are you? Like when we came here to Reno and we started meeting people and well, what type of church are you gonna be? And I was like, that's the dumbest question ever. I hate that question. I don't know, I, I don't know how to answer that. The Bible, Jesus, uh, we wanna love people. And I know what they're looking for. They're like, what denomination are you? Or what non-denomination are you? Are you, are you charismatic? Are you, are you other things? Are you, and they start throwing out theological terms. I'm like, I, guys, I don't know. I just, we, we just wanna do the things that Jesus tells us to do. We wanna reach people the way that Jesus told us to reach. We wanna, we wanna believe for the things that Jesus tells us to believe for. So whatever label you wanna slap on that, feel free. So this is not gonna be a message about how we need to be a Pentecostal church or how we need to be a Baptist church or how we need to be this or that. It's, this is about us being Jesus followers who literally listen to the words that Jesus says and we decide, hey, yeah, we should do that. Let's do that. What does that look like? I don't know all the way. Let's read and let's figure out what it is. This is what we do know. Let's go for it and see what God does. That, that's really, that's who, what we're about. That's who we are as a church. So I really wanna break things down. I'm kind of on a mission on this. If you can, if you can tell, uh, this is something that's near and dear to my heart because I, I'm, I'm tired of seeing Christians be the weaklings of society. I'm, I'm tired of us being the ones that instead of walking around with our heads up, we walk around with our heads down because we somehow have been preached this message in our life or we've been taught it or we just think that this is how it's supposed to be, that we, we walk around defeated in life, but we don't go to hell. Hey, you know, I'm just living saved. I'm just a sinner saved by grace. We focus so much more on the fact that we're a sinner that we actually leave out the part about what God's grace is doing inside of us. I'm here to defend being a spirit-filled Jesus follower and to define that. I'm here to defend having a lively and a loud church. This is not a funeral and it's not a library. <clears throat> I'm here to defend speaking in tongues and the supernatural power of God that's still alive. And, in, in, and I don't know if you knew this, if you're a church person, sometimes we miss this, but on the outside, the world is craving the supernatural. And so they walk through our doors desperate, looking for something hungry, and they, they get a peanut butter sandwich and a paper bag and a pat on the back. And I don't think we're supposed to do that. I think we're supposed to give people tools that light up their life, that empower them to do things that they've never been able to do before. And I'm not talking about weird, spooky stuff. I'm talking about simply living the life that Jesus says is possible for us to live. So again, we're not, we're not weird. Well, I don't know, can't, can't speak for everybody. <laughs> but that's not, you know, in our, we're, not, we're not trying to be weird religious people. We're not trying to float around on cloud nine and just people walk in like, whoa, what's happening here? I, I would prefer that response, but in the context of the presence of God is here and people walk in saying, I don't know what, I, I feel something, I don't know what's going on. Man, I love hearing stories from people that, they come in, and this happens, if, if this is you today, just know that you're not alone. This happens all the time here. People come into this place who have never had a church experience and, or they've had religious experiences maybe growing up and it, and it didn't work out well and they've walked away from it. And I've seen people come into this room and, and never have encountered this type of environment before, not us, but just the presence of God that's here in our worship. And, and people just, they're like observing and watching and, and all of a sudden they're like, you know, teardrops and they're like, whoa, 
Okay, get your, get your stuff together. Okay, people might be watching. There's a few lights in here. They might see me, you know, and, and they just don't know what's happening. But the reality is, is that people are encountering the love and the grace of God. And we want to see more of that. So I'm going to give you some, I'm just going to, this is going to be super practical. Is it okay if I teach the Bible today a little bit? But this is going to be a moment today, honestly, for, for, for some of you, for maybe many of you, today will be a day that you'll never forget. Because today is going to be an opportunity that you will have to encounter the Holy Spirit of God in a way that maybe you never have before. And maybe you have, but it's, it's been something that you just haven't been close to in a while. And, and God wants to draw you back in. This isn't about salvation, although we'll hit that at the very end. It's, people need to be saved. It starts here. That's the beginning of the journey. But it sure as heck is not the end. And God wants to take you somewhere. So I hope you're taking notes. And so here's, I don't always do like the one, two, three thing, but here's, here's you get one today, okay? Uh, so number one, you need everything Jesus says you need. You need everything. And today we're talking in the context of the Holy Spirit. In Acts chapter one, verse four, uh, five, and then verse nine, it says, once they were eating with, uh, once, I'm sorry, once he was eating with them, this is Jesus with his disciples, uh, post-resurrection, and it says he commanded them, do not leave Jerusalem until the Father sends you the gift he promised. As I told you before, John baptized with water, but in just a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. Does that sound familiar? John just said that earlier, and so clearly that was a statement that, that kind of stuck in the culture of what was happening with Christ. It says, but you will receive power. Somebody say power. Doesn't say you will receive religion. Doesn't, see, doesn't say that you will receive a perfect life. It says you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. And here's the kicker, because God's power is always connected to God's purpose. Please remember that. It says, and you will be my witnesses, telling people about me, where? Everywhere. In Jerusalem, throughout Judea, in Samaria to the ends of the earth, in Reno, in Sparks, in Spanish Springs, in Carson in northern Nevada, in the western part of the United States until the ends of the earth. Let's personalize that. If Jesus says that you need the Holy Spirit, it doesn't take a theologian to break it down and wonder what he's meaning. That we don't have to wonder, well, man, if we go back to the original language, we really need to understand what Jesus is saying here. Let's nerd out on this for a minute. No, let's not nerd out on this minute. Let's just listen to what he said and let's understand that if he says that, that the disciples couldn't even go and fulfill their purpose until they received the power of God. Think about that. Just, just a few, you know, even chronologically, just a little bit before this, there's this beautiful thing called the Great Commission where Jesus, right before he ascended, he's reminding them of their purpose. Hey, listen, remember everything that you saw me do? Now go into all of the world and preach the gospel, make disciples, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. But he also told him, don't do that yet. You need the Holy Spirit in your life. You're gonna need supernatural power to be what I've created you to be. So here's the deal, guys. Why is the church in America so weak? Because we're running around trying to accomplish something we don't have the power to accomplish. We're, we're, we're running all around with great intentions, with great energy and with great passion and enthusiasm a lot of the times. And, but we're like, how come we don't see the things happening that we read uh, in, the, in the gospel, all that red letter stuff? Isn't that supposed to happen today? How come it doesn't happen? It's because we've been trying to, we've been trying to over-knowledge-fy. I just made up a word, over-knowledge-fy <laughs> the things that Jesus was telling the church to do and to be. We need everything that Jesus says that we need. Number two, write this down. 
This is going to be a little educational, but hopefully it will be inspirational as well. There are two primary Holy Spirit experiences in the life of a Jesus follower. There's two of them. And I'll prove it here scripturally because that tends to be a good thing to do when you're preaching the word of God. The first happens when you receive Christ as your Savior. That's your salvation moment. And here's an example. In John chapter 20, this is freshly after Jesus had just risen from the dead. And he, uh, well, I'll just read it to you. In verse 19, John chapter 20 says, um, That Sunday evening, the disciples were meeting behind locked doors because they were afraid of the Jewish leader. Sunday evening, meaning this was just after the resurrection of Christ. And he didn't just, you know, I always wonder why he did this, but he didn't just resurrect and then go back to what he was doing before and just hang out with the disciples all the time. It said that during the time that he was still on earth, post-resurrection to, to his ascension back into heaven, it says that from, he would appear to the disciples. It's like, what was he doing the other times? Doesn't really tell us a whole lot. Kind of makes you wonder. But it says that he appeared to the disciples when they were behind locked doors. It says, suddenly, Jesus was standing there among them. That was something that he couldn't do before. Now, all of a sudden, Jesus can just be like, poof, hey, what's up, guys? Out of nowhere, freaking everybody out. Anyway, he says, peace be with you, which is, you know, proper talk for, hey, stop freaking out. Everything's going to be okay. He says, as, I, as he spoke, he showed them the wounds in his hand and in his side, and they were filled with joy when they saw the Lord. And, and again, he said, peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, so I am sending you. Then he breathed on them and said, receive the Holy Spirit. Now, you got to understand, this is a different moment from when he said, go into Jerusalem and wait for the Holy Spirit. Well, why would he tell them to go wait for something that he just said that he gave them? So you have to tell you, when you begin to break it down, you have to look at it and say, there, there's two things happening here. Because number one, you can't be saved if Jesus is not a crucified and risen Lord. A lot of times we think that, well, the disciples were just following Jesus around, so they were saved, man. They were believers. They were, they were, you know, they were on staff, you know, with Jesus, and, and uh, so they were doing their thing. No, they were, they were observing the Messiah, but listen, salvation can only come when the, the blood sacrifice has been made to cover your sin. And so Jesus could not save people. He was forgiving people, but he could not save people eternally until he had risen from the sacrifice. So he appeared to them. This is the first time they're really all seeing him together. He appears to them, shows, him the, shows them the proof. Hey, remember this? Well, some of y'all do, but the other y'all ran away. But this is what happened to me while y'all were chilling. And he shows them the hands in his, in his hands and his feet and his side. And, and I'm sure at that point there's still scars on his head from the crown of thorns. And, and he's showing them, hey, I did what I said I was going to do. And guess what? Here I am. Remember how I said I was going to die, and then on the third day, they're like, oh, that's not a metaphor? Oh, okay. He's like, no, that was really, that's why I said this is really going to happen. And it did. It's really happening. So at that point, they saw it, they had joy, and they were able to receive Jesus, not as the potential Savior, but as the risen Savior. So the first moment where the Holy Spirit interacts with you is the moment that you say yes in faith to who Jesus is, that he is God and that God raised him from the dead and that he is the Savior and the Messiah. Because you cannot save yourself, you need the Holy Spirit to begin to transform you from the inside out. And so that's when the Holy Spirit first comes inside of you. But just like the disciples had, this was the first moment, this was their salvation moment, but they had not yet been baptized with the Holy Spirit. Baptism is a very specific word used in the Bible. When we baptize people in water, we don't sprinkle them. And I know different uh, uh, you know, versions of Christianity do different things, but the word that's used in the Bible means full immersion in water. 
And so I don't want my forehead baptized. I want everything. I want to be immersed. I want to be saturated. I want to be consumed with this life that I now live publicly for Christ. That's water baptism. The exact same word that they use for water baptism is the word baptism they use for Holy Spirit baptism, which means God doesn't wanna just come and only live inside your heart so that you can have the supernatural ability to no longer be the dirty sinner that you once were and that I once was. He wants to consume every aspect of your being, body, soul, and spirit. And here's the thing, back to what I was saying a second ago. You can't even be everything that God has called you to be until you receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit in your life. Doesn't mean you're not going to heaven. And then you know what? what's sad is there's a lot of Christians who are content. Be like, well, is this mandatory? That's like the total Christian question, question, isn't it? Do I have to do this? What's the least that I can do and still not burn in hell? I'm sorry, was that... Was that too? That was too hard. Okay, anyway. I'm just, I've seen some things. Anyway, there's a huge difference between the indwelling of the Holy Spirit that happens at salvation and the baptism of the Holy Spirit that happens when you ask God to give you this gift. Now check this out. The indwelling gives you power to live saved. The baptism gives you power to live called. And that's what I think so many Jesus followers struggle with. We, we struggle with the calling, don't we? And sometimes we get fixated on the struggle being about what we're called to. But in all reality, that, that's not the struggle. Because the call, what you're called to is what God's placed right in front of you. It's who God's placed right in front of you. It's, it's the family that you have. It's the, the job that you have. It's, it's the, the, the community where God has placed you. It's the friends that he's placed around you. God, what do you want to do with my life? He's like, I want to fill you with power, and then you're there with the people I've placed before you. But we got to remember that we do have a life to live, and it's a called life. The second experience is receiving the baptism of the Holy Spirit. I've talked about what that word means. You know what's interesting is when the, when the church first started, if you read into the first couple of chapters of Acts, you kind of get this picture that they thought it was just for the Jews. It was just for the nation of Israel. You know, Jesus was a Jew, and, and pretty much all of his ministry, for the most part, was to the Jewish people. And, and so they kind of had a little bit of an arrogance connected to this whole salvation, Messiah, kingdom of God thing. And, and, and the reality is, and we know, we know now, but they didn't really fully understand at the time, is that this God is thinking much, much bigger than that. God's desire is for the whole world. God's desire is that none should perish. God's desire is that whether you are Jew or Gentile, and he's like, what, the, what does that mean? Jew and everybody else, that's what that means. Then God wants you, and he wants to, uh, wants to show you his love. He wants you to understand your calling. He wants to empower you in the life that you live. But they didn't know that then. And so if you were to, to go further in this whole journey, and you get to the, cha- uh, the book of Acts chapter 10, uh, Peter, who was you know, really the first leader of the church, has an encounter where he was up taking a nap on a roof, because that seems like a great place to take a nap, I guess. And it says that he had a vision. And in this vision, this, this, uh, this blanket lowered from heaven. And on this blanket was every type of unclean animal. In the Jewish culture, there were only certain animals that you could eat that were considered clean. And then other stuff you couldn't eat, you couldn't even touch. And so in, in, in this voice, God spoke to him and said, kill and eat. Peter said, nice try. Nice try, Simon says. I don't do that stuff. I'm, I'm a good Jewish, you know, Jewish kid. You know, I don't eat the unclean stuff. And then he said, then it happened again. The voice said, kill and eat. And then the voice continued to say, never call anything that I have made unclean. 
and everybody who likes ribs and barbecue said amen. Anyway, <laughs> come on. Anyway, sorry, that got me distracted a little bit. And, and so it, for, for Peter in that moment, it wasn't necessarily about the meat. It was about the Gentiles. And he says, hey, guess what? Wake up. Somebody's about to come and ask for you, and you're to go with them. He says, okay, I will. And just about that time, three people come, knock on the door. Hey, is Peter, Peter here? Uh, we want him to come with us. They're like, who are you? Peter says, it's okay, I had a vision. I'm supposed to go with these guys. And these guys take him on a journey, and they go not just to a Gentile's house, but they go to the house of a Roman centurion. Another context moment. This was still Roman Empire. Israel was a conquered land. They were under occupation. And so a Roman centurion was not necessarily somebody that a good Jewish person would just be hanging out with and budding around with. But he knew that God, Peter even told him when he got there, he's like, you know, I'm not supposed to hang out with you. I'm not even supposed to be around, you know, with you people. And he's like, what do you mean you people? No, he didn't say that. But that would be on the TV show today. And, uh, and he said, but God told me it was okay, so I'm going to come in. And so he came in, and they said there was, just, there was a crowd of people gathered waiting for him. And they just wanted to know about Jesus. They had heard, they had seen, and they just wanted to know firsthand. It says, Peter began to preach the gospel. And it says, as he was preaching, it says that the Gentiles were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in tongues. Which freaked out Peter because he's like, whoa, 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 what's happening now? Well, that's what happened to us in the upper room in Acts chapter two and also in Acts chapter four, now it's happening to the Gentiles. God is letting us know that it's for everybody. It's for everybody, it's for you. It's not for the super spiritual. It's not for the elite. It's for every single person who would come before God and say, God, I want everything that you want me to have. Absolutely everything. So, so here's one of the things that, that sometimes in the, in the church world we forget Either we forget and ignore or we put too much emphasis on because the reality is is that one of the signs, not the sign, but one of the signs of somebody receiving the baptism of the Holy Spirit was speaking in other tongues. Now that also sometimes gets interpreted by people that don't quite want to embrace the faith connection of what happens. Yeah, there, it's just an actual language of another country. Because, and, they, and we justify that by, you know, in Acts chapter 2, it says they, they were filled with the Holy Spirit. They came out, they were praising God. And people who were there for, for, uh, for Pentecost from all over the known world that spoke different languages heard God being praised in their own native language. And so we're like, well, then God must have, you know, taught them Spanish and Ukrainian and Russian. It was fantastic. No, that's not how that works because we never see another moment where this is repeated. We never see another moment where the people who were filled with the Holy Spirit here went and started like, hey, buenos dias. How you doing? In the nombre de Jesus, hey. It didn't, it didn't happen like that. You know what's cool? If you begin to research missionaries who have gone to people groups that have never encountered the gospel, or you, they, they never go and try to talk to people and speak in tongues and talk to them. That, you never hear those stories, but the stories you do hear is somebody going to a remote village that's never encountered somebody from the outside, and they get to the center of a village, and they get on their knees, and they begin to pray to God in a heavenly language, and people begin to come out because they hear something being said that they recognize. So here's the thing. This is what we have to wrap our minds around, and it takes faith to believe this, is that this isn't about the specific language you're speaking to somebody else. This is a heavenly supernatural language that you're given to God, and he says, I will do with this what I desire. If I want to turn this into a language somebody understands, I will do that. If I want this to be between you and me and nobody even understands, and even you don't fully understand it, that's what I'm going to do with it. 
And so we try to get, we try to cerebrally kill the Holy Spirit with our own understanding. But the Bible says, lean not on your own understanding, but in every way acknowledge God. It's not about what you know. It's not about what you understand. It's not about what you comprehend because if it was, then we wouldn't need faith. The Holy Spirit is not just about speaking in tongues. That's where this side of the crowd sometimes misses it. It just becomes some weird freak party where we just go wild. Paul actually addresses that in 1 Corinthians chapter 14 and 15. He addresses that, that it's, it's not just supposed to be some weird act where we just kind of spiritually get off on feeling good about what we're doing and we're just going crazy. That's not what it's about because the Holy Spirit was always meant to empower you to his purpose. But it is a part of it. So here, here's a few things I want to lay out to you. So speaking in tongues is not receiving another earthly language. I just said I just said that. Anyway, okay. But that's the point, in case you're writing that down. That's number three, okay. Um, speaking of, if, you're, if you've never heard of this before, because here's the cool thing. This is what I love about our church. On any given week, when it comes to either biblical understanding or background, we're going to have an audience that's from zero to 100 and everything in between. I love that about our church. And if you're new, you need to understand, like, we, we, think, we think about what we do in the context of who's new today, who's never heard this before. We're not speaking to theologians. We're not speaking to people that know everything. We're trying to understand that all of us are on the same page, trying to grow in what God's trying to teach us. And we don't have it all perfected either. We're just trying to pray, trust God, hear the Holy Spirit, read the word, and just be obedient. And I think sometimes we crush it, and sometimes we're like, oh, back this way. Okay, here we go. Now we're back on track. But this is, this is what I think we can surmise and pull from Scripture, from what it teaches on this and what it shows us. And so when you hear, you know, speaking in tongues, maybe another phrase for that is praying in the Spirit. Maybe you've heard that. Those are kind of synonymous. But, but um, praying in the Spirit is, is supernaturally praying for things that you don't even know to pray for and in ways that you can't begin to pray for in your own language. It's, it's this beautiful thing where the Holy Spirit that is inside of you allows you to communicate and connect directly to God and bypass that crazy thing that sits on your shoulders that has to understand everything and figure everything out and analyze everything. All the analytical people are like, yeah, that's me. All the non-analytical people are like, I don't get it, anyway. But I'm cool with it, anyway. <clears throat> Praying in the Spirit bypasses the limitations that we naturally have when it comes to thinking and speaking in our own mind. I don't know if you know this or not, but the English language is not the most complex language out there. It's like the word, we use the word love, right? Like, like, I love chicken fingers, I love my wife. Clearly, those are not the exact same things. You know, but we, you know, we, we have one word, you know, and it gets really convoluted in our culture. Uh, praying in the Spirit can lead to prophetic visions and insight. Praying in the Spirit is perfect worship of God. Praying in the Spirit should not be done to draw attention to yourself. And that's a big deal. So that's some of the stuff that Paul talks about in 1 Corinthians 14 and 15. Is because the, the Corinthian church was very well known for flowing in the gifts of the Spirit, but it was becoming something that was a spectacle, drawing, people were showing off their gifts. Like they went, hey, well, well they can speak in tongues, good, check this out. And then be, literally, you kind of paint this picture that it became a shouting match of who could do it better and louder. Paul comes in, he's like, uh, time out. What's going on here? This is crazy. And he gave them instructions. Because here's the thing, like, well, speaking in tongues is only for your private self and your private place. No, that's, that's part of it. But there is moments in a church setting where it is appropriate. 
but never when it's done in the context that's gonna single you out and draw attention to yourself instead of attention being pointed to the Lord. And that's why there are certain things that we do or do not do in our worship experiences that other churches do that are not bad, they're not evil, they're not wrong, but we're not gonna do some of those things because we don't wanna do things that are going to draw attention to an individual. We want our experience to be corporately keeping our eyes pointed towards God. And so, yeah, when, it, when worship's going on and there's moments, like sometimes you ever wonder, like when they're singing, they're like, wait, there's no words for this part. It kind of sounds like they're making up words as they go. That's called singing in the spirit, just singing a new song out of your own heart and mind to the Lord in those moments. And sometimes those are great moments when you're in worship to sing in the spirit, to sing in that spiritual language to you and the Lord because there's noise around you and you're not singling yourself out. Does that make sense? But for example, if I'm talking right now and all of a sudden somebody gets up on their seat and starts shouting in tongues, we're gonna say, time out. We don't do that here. That's not the time for this. And some of y'all laugh, but I grew up in churches where that happened. And they're like, oh, the spirit's moving. And be like, no, spirit, yeah, no, there's their spirit moving, all right, you know, time out. And sometimes, you know, the Bible, there are things that happen when you read in scripture where you're like, wow, that could have been awkward if you were there. But you will always know the spirit involved by the fruit it produces. When it, when it disrupts and when it destroys something that God is doing in an environment, that's not the spirit of God. And so that can be touchy. And so grateful that that's me and my wife's job and not yours to get to manage that. You're welcome so that you don't have to handle that. <clears throat> what was the last one here? Praying in the spirit. Okay, I just talked about that. Anyway, so I wanna give you number four and then we're gonna wrap this thing up and I hope this isn't too educational. I want there to be, I want there to be something behind it, but here's the deal. This is the, this is the kicker. Uh, number four, what is filled is meant to be poured out. What is filled is meant to be poured out. You know what it's called when you just fill and fill and fill without pouring out? That's called gluttony. And there is so, there, there is so much in the world that it leans heavy on the Holy Spirit that is nothing more than an expression of selfish gluttony because we wanna be filled and filled and filled and, 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 but, but we never do anything after we've been filled to pour out. You're like, well, if I'm not pouring out, then why do I feel empty? Well, there's three ways the liquid can, can leave its container. One, it gets used. Two, it's got a leak. Or three, it evaporates from just sitting there. People, you know, happens all the time. And I have people that come up to me that have left other places while well, I just wasn't being fed. I'm like, you know how to make a sandwich? Like, can you read a Bible? Do you know how to talk to Jesus? And that can sound sarcastic. And sometimes people don't. Sometimes people are like, I don't, I don't know. Like, Am I allowed to read the Bible? Like, is that, I'm not a pastor. You're like, no, that's okay. Like, this is for you. This is God's love letters for life for you. Well, how do I pray? Okay, we can do this. We can have this conversation. So it's one side when somebody comes and they literally don't know, they've never experienced, they've never done, they didn't grow up in church. We assume too much that everybody's on the same playing field. You know, the average Christian doesn't pick up their Bible, but maybe two or three times a year. These are just stats. They're very encouraging. The average person spends less than five minutes a week in conversation with God. Most of us, and I've been guilty of this, our prayer life consists of our 911 moments of life. And they're usually demands that we place on God. God, if you're real, you'll do this. So they're like, he's that bottle, just rub it. See if God comes out. But what God's looking for is he's looking for a relationship. He's not looking for a religion. 
And he's not looking for you to, to be saved and barely make it through life. He's looking for you to be filled with the power of the Holy Spirit so that you can live called, that you can live fulfilled, so that you can have something that it takes to break that addiction that's been destroying you. And it's not your own willpower and strength. It's the supernatural power of the Holy Spirit that transforms you from the inside out. That relationship that's been breaking apart and every time you try to do something, it feels like it breaks it up even more. And the supernatural power of the Holy Spirit wants to get involved to bring life into something that is dead. You know God can do that, right? He kind of has a reputation for taking dead things and bringing them back to life. He has a reputation for breathing life into things that everybody else was trying to put into the ground. So here's what we're gonna do. Some are like, oh boy, here it goes. No, relax, relax, anyway. The Holy Spirit, the baptism of the Holy Spirit, also the gift of the Holy Spirit. You know, the Bible talks about God, our Father, being a, a good Father who gives good gifts to his children. Um, the Holy Spirit is a gift, something that he promises and something that he will give when it's asked for. And you're like, well, what does that look like? I was like, well, it can look like many different things. You know, for one, there's a, a beautiful verse in Galatians chapter five, verse 22, which referred to as the fruit of the Holy Spirit. Somebody call it the fruits. I'm like, no, it's, it's not multiple. It's, it's one fruit, but it's love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, and self-control. Those are, those are not just the, you know, we reread the word in English. We're like, oh yeah, we know what that is. No, add supernatural to the beginning of every single one of those words. It's supernatural love. It's the love that allows you to love your enemy. It's the love that allows you to not get caught up in the stupidity of politics and election seasons and, and post things like, if you're a Christian, you'll vote for this person, but if you vote for that person, you're not a Christian. No, that's not the love of God. That divides, that doesn't bring people together. It's the love that allows you to look across oceans at people that have been taught things that seem like they're out to get us and we can still look across at them and say, you know what, I, I still love you. You know, it's really hard to have an enemy when you love them. That's because love removes that divide and that animosity. It's supernatural joy, not the type that you manufacture, not the type that you drink. It's not the type that you smoke. It's supernatural, it kind of just comes up from inside of you when everything else is, is telling you that it should be, you shouldn't be happy right now. You shouldn't have joy in this moment. There's still that supernatural joy that comes up inside of you that says, I don't know, I just feel like God's got this. Supernatural peace in life, supernatural boldness and courage to share your faith. That's that pouring out, which is why there's multiple fillings of the Holy Spirit once you receive the Holy Spirit. Chapter two, the early church got filled. Chapter four, Peter and John got arrested for preaching and for healing people, imagine that. Talk about a religious spirit, so religious that they don't even wanna see people get better. They got arrested and, and they said, okay, learn your lesson, you can't preach anymore, no more of that healing stuff. Don't say Jesus. Don't talk about Jesus anymore. Hey kids, don't bring your Bibles to school anymore. Don't do that, that's not allowed. Don't talk about Jesus in the workplace, you can't do that kind of making some connections there. Hopefully that's okay. And Peter and John looked at him and they're like, yeah, no, yeah, we can't do that. I said, but they were afraid because they just healed the dude, so they let him go. And then people were praying for Peter and John. And Peter and John went back to the house where people were praying for them. And it says that the Holy Spirit filled them again. The place where they were shook. 
We like to turn that into a metaphor. I, I don't think it was. And it says they were filled with the Holy Spirit again. The more you pour out of yourself, the more you need to be refilled with the Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit doesn't go away, but we have a body, we have a limitation, and God wants to fill that over and over again. He wants to fill your soul, which is your mind, will, and emotions. He wants to fill your spirit on a daily basis, which is why Sunday is not enough for you to be fed. We try to cook a meal, but as best as it could be, it's still not gonna get you through an entire week. You need to spend time with Jesus. You need to have a prayer language that you can just get by yourself and begin to open up your mouth and begin to pray in a supernatural language that maybe you don't understand and that's okay, but it's something where you will begin to be rejuvenated inside of you. You will be built up and encouraged in your most holy faith. So how do you receive? You believe, you ask, you receive, and when it comes to that prayer language, you open your mouth and you begin to speak. This is another misconception, like, well, the Holy Spirit just takes control over my body and just, it's not me. No, it's, it's a switch. You can turn it on, you can turn it off. I can turn it on and begin to speak in tongues right now, you can turn it off. It's, it's not something where, because here's how God operates, and this is consistent throughout scripture. God doesn't force himself on anybody, and God doesn't force and make people do things that they're not willing to do as a vessel. And so when it comes to speaking in tongues, you don't have to go into some weird trance and, and lose yourself. This isn't some new age meditation. This isn't mysticism. This is spirit filled. Thanks again for listening to the Convo Church podcast. If you enjoyed this message, do us a favor, subscribe to this podcast, rate and review us on iTunes and share our podcast with your family, friends and team members. If you live in the Reno area, come and be a part of Convo Church. Check us out on ConvoChurch.com and follow us on social media at ConvoChurch. We'll see you next time here on the Convo Church Podcast.